We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up and welcome in, everybody. It's your Wednesday, December 6th episode. That means you have a mailbag uh, edition of the OBR Film Breakdown. Myself and Andrew Spade will be talking to you, answering your questions. We have a lot to to really go over in the mailbag, as we always do. Thanks to you guys for the questions. Andrew, we start with some news around the Browns and the game um, coming up this Sunday. Let's start with Anthony Walker, who I, I just think it's worth sort of shouting out what came about for what seems like a great human being, a guy that teammates love, organizations love. And a couple things for him, he's the Ed Block Courage Award winner for the Browns, which is awesome. And then Walter Payton, Man of the Year, um, also a nominee for the Browns as well. I think Joel Batonio's had that opportunity in the past too, another great human being off the field doing a lot of uh, different things for the community. But it seems like Anthony Walker's getting some of that recognition he deserves. And uh, I'm just I'm happy he's a part of the organization. I feel like they made a good decision to not only go get him last year, but keep him around for another year post injury. Right. So um, I don't really have anything for you to answer there. Just wanted to say what a what a great dude. Well, I'll just I'll volunteer that if people haven't seen the video that the Browns put up today on social media of uh, Greg Newsom kind of surprising Anthony Walker with that announcement, uh, he sort of uh, made it up like one of those uh, social, you know, viral video type things where they're asking the players dumb questions about what they cook for Thanksgiving or whatever. What's up with the mini microphone? Is that, is that like in for full time now? Those little it mini microphones? Like it seems like that they just grab a lav mic, mic and walk around with it like they're, it's a very delicate, like you're holding a toothpick or something. Yeah, I don't, weird. don't weird. really care for it. It feels no. unnecessarily dainty. I wish that they would get them like an old 70s, you know, reporter mic that's like 12, 15 inches long and you know real pointy or whatever but yeah nostalgia yeah these, that's what i mean microphones are everywhere but yeah that that video was, i didn't see it was it good it's nice it's very nice you know it's clear how much to your point everybody in the locker room loves him so i think it it's a nice moment for the the team to celebrate a guy who means a lot and you know has fought through some adversity even within this season an injury that he came back from and is kind of one of the key guys on defense, despite the fact that he's, you know, had a one year to one year contract every year. So 
Yeah, pretty cool. It said here he specifically uh, thought last year that his season, not just his season, but his career might be over after that. Yeah. But, uh, was it a quad, right? He ended up tearing the quad. It was a torn I quad. I, I would imagine that's awful. Like just the size of the quad on the on the male, right? These guys who who grow uh, into professional football players, God, to have to rehab that had to be pretty awful. But yeah, he thought he was done, worked out rehab, fought his way back captain for the second straight year that points to something because again walker's a nice player it's not a great player it's a nice player so for them to put him out as a captain two years in a row really speaks to that and his uh leadership off the field is is certainly noteworthy in the community several community events he does several um you know sometimes attends multiples of those uh time and energy on youth football education social justice all that stuff. So uh, the Browns did a nice write-up. He's passionate about social justice space, serving as a judge on the panel for two of the Browns' jumpstart small business impact showcases, things like that. So he is all in on helping the community, which you can't have enough guys on your roster who are community-based driven leadership stuff. So shout out to you, Anthony Walker. We tip our cap, right? Um, next up, we have uh, the Jags, right? What a What a wild game last night. Jake Browning just turning into prime Joe Montana right in front of our eyes. I love the quote from Jake Browning too, where it's like some of these guys who go from these elite, you know, you go out of high school, you go to Washington, like Jake did. You're an elite recruit. That guy started as a freshman, true freshman for Washington played great football throughout his career. And then they get into the NFL and they're like backup quarterbacks. And you see this all the time you know, where these guys who are really big recruits. And then like, I, I always think of like an example would be like Jake Fromm from Georgia kid. I know he hasn't really settled into a real backup role anywhere, but uh, I think another one is Barkley. Uh, Matt Barkley was with the bills for a while. He's been some other places too, but these guys who are huge recruits in the world revolved around them. And even the world revolved around them at their college location. Then they get the NFL and they'll come in and they'll win a game, right? They'll win a game. And it's like, can you believe this happened? And Jake Brown, he's kind of like, you know, I didn't really get emotional because I've won everywhere yeah. I've been. I've done this, right? You know, I haven't done it at the NFL level. He's sitting behind Joe Burrow because you take the 1% of the one percenters. That's who starts in the NFL. So a guy like Jake Browning, really great career at Washington, but not of the 1% of the 1%. But he comes in, plays really well, great college pedigree, uh, does well. And it's like, nah, you know, I wouldn't say I'm emotional because I've done this. I used to love that answer, whereas some guys would say different. And I just thought that was a really raw and like non- uh, cliched answer from him, and it was really great. But yeah, he turns into, I guess, a, a best version of Joe Burrow that we've seen this year for the Bengals. Puts up an outstanding performance. But what we're drawn into is the health of the Jaguars come to Cleveland this weekend. Trevor Lawrence, what was that? A weird play. I mean, I I saw it happen, Andrew, and I mean, I didn't think it was that serious. So I got stepped on, but I didn't think it was that serious. And then he can't put any weight on. It. Then he's getting. There's no cart apparently in in the, the Jaguars stadium. Some pretty funny memes and stuff out there today on that. The old Austin Powers trying to back up the cart in the in the middle of a very tall or very tight hallway. I don't know, man. I, I I didn't think it was that serious. And then there's been some conflicting reports, and I think you had posted today that it's just being reported as a general ankle sprain now. Yeah, I think it's a high ankle sprain, but it's Doug Peterson termed it as stable. Was the word he used? I think it's kind of like. Patrick Mahomes last year in the playoffs, it can't get worse, I guess, by mm -hmm. doing stuff on it. It's just a pain tolerance issue. So, I, you know, I, I think there's a chance he plays this week based on his toughness. The Jaguars are in a scrap for the number one seed 
they they don't have a gigantic lead in their division. I, I I mean, they could sit him down and maybe arguably should, but if he can handle the pain tolerance and the doctors are saying it can't get worse, I don't really know what the risk would be. So he's obviously going to be limited from a mobility perspective, but you'd still rather have limited mobility Trevor Lawrence than uh, a fully functional CJ Beathard. So yeah, so they also lost Christian Kirk, who his is clearly serious, a torn muscle, yeah. abdomen, like he's going to be out for a little while. Um, but with with specifically the Jags, it gets interesting, Andrew, because they go to Cleveland and then they host the Ravens. So, you know, you're up a game on both the seven and five Colts and Texans. There's a chance now. I don't know how well they fared against those two teams specifically this year. They lost. They split with the Texans. It looks like they beat the Colts once and they have, let me see, they've played them twice. They have beat the Colts twice. So they own the tiebreaker over the Colts. Texans is split, so it would have to go in in an even deeper tiebreak scenario there while the Texans go to the Jets and go to the Titans in their next two games. So there's a chance they're feeling that pressure. That's why I kind of wanted the Jags to win last night. So they felt like they had a little cushion. Yeah around like not playing Trevor up in Cleveland. But I'm, I mean, looking at the early weather forecast stuff here, dude, like mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it's a great situation on a, on a grass field that will get slippery for a guy with an ankle issue. And it, part of what makes Trevor kind of, you know, puts him to another level is he's got some mobility that he uses. So it's dicey, man. It is dicey. I'm with you. CJ Beathard is not good. So you go into that game with the, with the Browns trying to get their defense back on track. You probably don't feel great about, down Christian Kirk that scenario but you also don't want to put you know you don't want to put your franchise quarterback back out there and put him in a situation where something else on him gets hurt because he can't move so if he's just if he's a sitting duck you don't want to put him out there regardless of how much this ankle won't get worse it's like other parts can get hurt there's that's a that's a decision and a choice I don't want to be involved in but it changes the scope of the Browns game I think the whole thing flipped from like Brown's getting a point and a half, two points now on the complete opposite side of that. How do you feel about it? Does it change your outlook on this game completely or oh, totally. are you still cautious? I mean, I'm cautious because I think he probably plays because of the situation the Jags are in. Um, I agree with you. Obviously, if they beat find a way to beat Cincinnati, they they probably can punt this one. But I don't I I don't know. I mean, I think they would probably feel like they're running a risk considering it's another conference game they would be running a risk to lose two straight in the conference. And then, like you said, they've got some pivotal divisional games left on the schedule. So I, 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 that's, I'm hesitant to get too excited about it because I just think it's one of those things. You've got six days They're The pain killers that they give these guys are, you know, dangerous and illegal, but also very effective. So um, I guess not illegal, but, highly controlled let's say it that way so they're probably towing the line of legal yeah yes exactly so Uh, i i think i again i just think they probably try and put him out there and you know because what's the worst that happens is he can't do it and then you go to cj bethard anyway so it'll be interesting to see how he practices i think that'll be the next indicator for us is does he get on the field at all between now and friday so they do have these two you know rather tougher games because you're at cleveland and then you host the Ravens, but they do close Bucks, Panthers, Titans. So they're probably feeling like, you know, you lose a couple, you could still get to 10 wins. And that's probably the division winner over there is at 10 wins at a maximum. So, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. But it would be a real sloppy tie. You know, I, I do you, do you want to enter the, the 10 win tie zone with the Texans and the Colts? 
that's the question. Do you would you are you chasing the division in a way that is going to harm your quarterback, or are you right. going to play it safe and just hope you can get in and and you keep him? Uh, even if you get in as a wild card, you have a chance because yeah. he's healthier than he was. That's that's an interesting pickle that they find themselves in after that mm-hmm. game where mm-hmm. um, he gets stepped on and it's a really weird injury. So we'll see. That's where everybody's attention is going to be this week. And every single Cleveland beat writer who was uh, tuned into the game or somebody was telling them about it had to tweet out that the Browns play the Jaguars this week. So you don't forget it. You know, don't forget that. It's yeah. a big part of uh, social media is to remind If you're staying people, up till – what that 11, that injury happened like eleven thirty at night. If you're staying up till eleven thirty watching Jags Bengals and you don't know who the Browns are playing next weekend, that is a unique combination of factors, is what I would say. Every single one of them. Ooh, Trevor Lawrence looks like the and, and the Browns have the Jaguars this week. Jaguars oh, okay. at Browns yeah. one p.m. First Energy yeah. Stadium, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, thanks for reminding us. <laughs> All right, uh, let's close our open with. What do we want to hit on this? Yeah, I mean, I guess we're doing the the playoff playoffs. We're doing the playoff thing anyway, because I just and I don't even think we need to go into it quite yet. Another week or two. But what we want to remind people is one simple fact. And Andrew corrected me on this in the postgame show. So if you're an avid listener, you already heard this and cover your ears and move on. But if you get into a multi-team record tiebreak scenario, you do not head to head is out the window. So if there are four teams at 10 and six trying to get into the playoffs here, it's not, Oh, we beat the Colts. So we should be out in front of the Colts. It's different, Andrew. I don't know if you're able to kind of go into a riff of what it is, but it uh, goes down a listing and and head to head is out the, uh, out the door at that point. So don't like, again, I want to remind you, don't look at that scenario. Maybe where you're looking at it right now. And it's like, why are the, why are the Colts the six and we're the seven? We beat them. It doesn't matter. And multiple teams are seven and five and the Bengals are six and six kind of hovering chance to, uh, I haven't looked at the Bengals schedule, but I, I think they're going to have a chance to at least be in the hunt graphic this week, right? That will be a thing for them. At least I believe they have the chiefs remaining, but the chiefs, as we know, not, <laughs> not a team that can't be beat this year. So I think the the daunting schedule for the Bengals is a little less than we thought it would be originally. Yeah, that's true. The, where the Pittsburgh Steelers and Bengals are in terms of the quarterback injuries has really been in flux, right? Because we thought if Mitch Trubisky and and Mason Rudolph don't undo every hope the Steelers have left, and they are infallible. They are right. yeah bulletproof, right? Bulletproof. So I'm just want to say that, and you guys have heard me say that before because Jake's an idiot talking about the Steelers all the time. But yeah, the Colts and Bengals—that's a big one this weekend, a home game in Cincinnati. Yeah. Then they had the Vikings, very beatable. They're at the Steelers now. I mean, not that Kenny Pickett made them like so much more and he challenging. could be back by then, potentially. He could be. Uh, but then they they closed the year with uh, the trip to KC and Cleveland goes down to Cincinnati. Right. So they're, right. they're at least hanging around. We were, we were kind of thinking they would be a team that was punting on the year by week 18, which could still be the case, but it yeah. just is a little less certain now. And the Bills. Got to throw the Bills in there just because of who their quarterback is. 100%. I, so, I mean, I think the Bills are probably a team that most people feel like is going to find a way to get that done. I haven't looked at the Bills schedule. Have you? Uh, I know they've got the Chiefs. That that I know for sure. And I believe they have the Dolphins as well. Um, beyond that, I think they oh get boy. the Patriots at least once. Their, their, final, their three of their final five are pretty tough. I mean, they have yeah. the KC this weekend. They host the Cowboys who are fighting right, with everything uh, imaginable to get that, mm-hmm. that division over the Eagles. They go to the Chargers, which again, Justin Herbert could catch fire any game, sure, any moment. Patriots are playing some of the best defense. Already beat them once, already, and they're playing some of the best defense in the NFL over the past like four weeks now. 
and then you travel to Miami to close out the year. So yeah, that that the the Bills schedule looks a lot more daunting than the Bengals. Sure. Just you know, the advanced stats have the Bills still as like a top three team. So it's wild. It's even wild. against that schedule, you know, they could go four and one and be a ten and seven team. So speaking of this, we're talking about a log jam at ten and seven. That's what we're that's what we're worried about. Mm-hmm. The the only tiebreaker that's head to head is if there's one team that has beat all the other teams at ten and seven, that team would go ahead. Uh, that obviously is unlikely to apply if it's a multiple team tiebreak. Beyond that, then it's conference record. So it's your record in the AFC. And I believe, based on the division that these teams play in and the games remaining, you know, in in the conference outside of their division, the Browns have a worse conference schedule uh, record than the Broncos and the Colts, but better than the Bills. Yeah, that Broncos game is the one you wanted. Right. Whatever. The Rams game, whatever. But that Broncos one was the one you really wanted. That's a bummer. Right. Uh, all right. Let's not live in the past, though, or in, in our fears, as they say. Let's move forward, Andrew. Let's do a mailbag. But before we get to the mailbag, we are going to take a break. Word from our sponsors. We will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view 
which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right? So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, we welcome you back in, getting ready for the mailbag now. We have our usual categories, offense, defense, special teams, coaching, transactions. That's a big category. And then random as well. Here we go. Offense starting. Fire this one off to you, Andrew. Joe certainly had command, Flacco, certainly had command of the offense last week. And most believe he will remain at starter moving forward. With it looking like a brutal weather game in Cleveland this weekend, is there a case to be made that DTR and his athleticism is the better choice? That comes from Adam Brown. Me personally, Andrew, I think I could see both sides of the spectrum. Yep. One guy has a pretty... Uh, good feel for how AFC ugly weather works. He's been in Cleveland Brown stadium many times. He also has uh, the old rugged AFC North body and arm strength that uh, people have wanted the Browns to draft for the longest time. Right. That was the, the, the funny thing looking back on it was like the Josh Allen case was look at Joe Flacco. It's a similar type of guy, right? No, one can run a little bit, a little bit more athletic, but the big arm strength, I understand both of it. A guy wants to cut through the wind, but I also, I've said this from the beginning. I don't want to get too far out in front of the starting quarterback situation. We're still not even really into whether DTR is even off of concussion protocol. I haven't seen anything on that, Andrew. Maybe you have. I haven't seen anything. But I understand both angles where where the offense is with Joe Flacco, I think, can be a place where there's a lot of comfort for a lot of guys. And he's still got juice in the tank. But I also understand wanting to pursue an opportunity for a young quarterback who you think might be a part of leading your future endeavors here. So, I will understand whatever choice they go with. The athleticism side of it would make sense to me. Flacco's arm, the, the desire for offensive cohesion, maybe a little bit more, a little more consistency is also there. So, and it's been one game for Joe. I don't want to put ourselves too far out in front of the skis. He could have some clunkers in there. There's no doubt. I mean, perfect conditions in uh, LA, all that stuff can play into to having a real nice ball game. So it's not like he's going to continually put up the efforts we saw last week. That's something you're afraid of, right? As well. So, uh, I don't. I don't have an. I don't have a preference still. Is I guess what I'm saying, Andrew. Long story short, is I don't. I don't mind whichever direction they go on this one. What do you think? I think that it makes me lean towards Joe Flacco because the arm strength is going to be necessary with the wind. I also would just say it does look like the forecast is pretty certain. You don't see 90 percent chance of rain this far out too often. So it's gonna I, be gnarly. Yeah, yeah but it, we're talking Tuesday evening. I don't fully want to lock that in yet just because these things can change at this time length, right? It's, it's too early to say for sure what the weather's going to be, but in the, I, in the sense that in the scenario is what I mean to say that there is a weather and an adverse weather game. I'd rather have Joe Flacco 
under center because I think he has handled it a lot more often than a young kid who played all of his college and high school ball out West in much more favorable conditions. Yeah. DTR has got the arm to do it. I just think that there's some uh, erraticism. Is that a word? Did I get that right? Erraticism. made it up. Um, I hope it works for you guys to know what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, to, to, to some of his delivery on these uh, intermediate throws where he can, he can drive it. But again, it's navigating what the swirling winds of this is like how that all operate. He's not, he hasn't had a ton of those opportunities. He hasn't had a ton of rain games. I don't know what that looks like. They'll have to feel it out in practice. And again, he's got to practice first before anything that matters for this weekend's decision plays out. If he doesn't practice, doesn't get out of concussion protocol, then it's not even a conversation to have, obviously. So yeah, even if he misses a practice, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it tomorrow. I will be tuned into Kevin's press conference to see if he makes an announcement. Next question. Any concerns from Jake or Andrew about how significantly comfortable Stefanski seemed to feel with Flacco at quarterback? If that's the case, why was there such a fervor to get Watson, given how different they are as quarterbacks? Correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. This is from Oak Mosser. I love the word fervor. Well done, Oak Mosser. This is a conversation for the offseason. I want to I preface it by saying that you're right. I watched that game. I was like, this is the way... Kevin Stefanski wants to call his offense. Every part of that felt like a, a game I've seen. I've seen Kevin call many times in his career. Um, there's a huge discussion looming about. I think <laughs> I'm trying to be careful with this because I don't want to get too far into the weeds before we have to. Uh, and that's not an Ohio new law uh, joke I just made there or anything like that. But there's. Do you like that one? I thought that one. I don't know. I thought that was a pretty good joke. Maybe it wasn't a good joke. Andrew, I thought it was great. Okay. I, I thought I right. was doing something on my phone, had my head down, but I was. That's I how was, we podcast, by the way. One of us is talking, the other person, I'm guilty of it. We just look at each other, like we just do other things, and they're like, oh, the other guy shut up. And now we're Jake, going. I, again. I knew you had one in the tank for this one. So I was giving you the. <laughs> this is me giving you the floor. This is, this is your sax solo where I'm like. I'm off I don't want wings. it to be, though, because I want to do episodes on this down the line. What I will say yeah. is, in a short way, this is where Kevin's most comfortable, and he hasn't really even deviated very far from this. Like I've said, there's a, a massive breakdown in the alignment it took to get Watson and make him the most comfortable. Like I, I kind of said, there's like you're plugging in a three-prong outlet, and there's a there's just something. You ever, <laughs> you ever get really frustrated? I'm sure everyone here has gotten really frustrated when you go to plug in a three-prong and you only have two receptors. I feel like that's what's going on here where they, they made this decision, whoever made it a decision to go get Deshaun Watson. They didn't realize they only have two prongs and that's like, they're trying to square peg round hole this thing at times. And I was optimistic that yeah, I'm going all in on these metaphors. (laughs) I, I think that this off season, I had hope. I think if you listen to, to myself and Andrew, as he started to join me more often, that there was hope that they would be rectifying this and figuring out a way. Because again, a a season where a guy has 12 games suspension and all of that, you know, mystery looming, it made sense for me to to understand how they're approaching it. But this off season should have been like clean slate. Now we're all doing this aligned thing for him. And I have not received any vibes of that being the case. So I like fame game, Jake where they were running a lot of inside zone and so yeah. tearing off of it. We got excited. We got legitimately excited. 
I I've like I've never been more confused about who they want to be offensively. I feel like they're like it's Kevin is wanting to do something new, something bold, but then he's like, "Oh man, I don't really feel like I don't know about that." Like I I know it's there and we should probably be doing it, but you know, we don't have to be doing it now that he's out. I'm more comfortable doing this. They have not challenged the status quo of their offensive thought process and I I remain despite overcoming the odds to get to 7 and 5 this year, the were the point that they're at disappointed in what that has all looked like. And I and I am going to be talking at you guys and through your earballs all off season about they have to figure out who the hell they are on offense and what they want to be. Because if the status quo remains in place and you bring back Deshaun Watson, I start to set and they're going to bring back Deshaun Watson, but if they bring back the status quo, that's the question. I have to say somebody either didn't want that trade or somebody made a massive mistake in how they thought about going about using Deshaun Watson. So um, you don't want to say that it's going to cost people jobs, but it very well could down, down, down the line at some point. But yeah, it's a mess right now in terms of who they want to be. They're living in two realities offensively. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that I understand a little bit of why you did it in 22, but what are you doing here in 23? And then you get injuries to hit. And you see them just quickly reverting back to some of the things that Kevin prefers to do. And it's like, okay, so this is who you want to be. Is If this is who you want to be, because Dorian is an athletic dude. PJ Walker is an athletic guy. You can you can do some of these things, and they just don't want to do it. So I uh, have questions, have thoughts on the whole thing, but we're going to try to dig, dig deeper into those once the season comes to pass. It's a lot there, Andrew. You were right. You could have been playing like Tetris on your phone for a while. Would have been just fine. But... Uh, I'm I'm open to you telling me I'm an idiot as usual about this. I'm overthinking it. I know you've been kind of vocal about it too, but uh, I, again, I, I almost feel like it puts a damper on the season because it can't change. There's nothing we can change about it, right? It's like Deshaun's walking through the door, so it's just a it's a tricky, picky conversation. But I don't like the general direction they've gone offensively this year, and I, I think that we've been laying out reasons why. Yeah, I played a whole game of cribbage while you were right on. Uh, Hopefully, scored well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I skunked him. I to play devil's advocate for a second. The only thing I would say is, was Kevin Stefanski slowly integrating that stuff into his offense as the season went on, and he grew more confident in Watson, and Watson grew more confident in him. But that entire plan got derailed because of the injuries. Would would like. Okay, I'm asking you to tell me whether you think that was happening because they're doing seven-step drops in Baltimore, under center, seven-step drops in the first half. Like I didn't get any inclination. If you go back and watch that Houston game, his debut, where they they had the most RPOs Kevin's ever called in a game, and then they like canned it, like almost like, we can't do this shit. Why am I even trying to pretend? It was It was literally like I could see him balling up papers in the coach's office after the game because they were so bad on offense and Watson was bad. Like, we can't do this. We can't pretend to be this team. And then they didn't even try to fix it, Andrew. And I don't – I think there's been some moments for Watson, but what I'm saying to you, and again, counter it back to me if you want, like they're well, not – they're trying to fit Watson into what Kevin wants to be. That's what they're yeah. doing. No, I, I, I see that, and I agree with you with the Baltimore game. I'm going all the way back to Tennessee before the first injury. Okay. 
I and I don't remember. What did you that like game. about it? like what what did you like about it that was different? <laughs> I'm challenging you. I, no, I and I don't remember off the top of my head if it, if how different it was, but that I I just think what I have seen a lot, and I don't necessarily say I'm not saying that I agree with it, but what I have seen a lot as a sentiment is that you almost have to throw the results of the season out because of the injury situation. I don't know if I believe that that he played, he played and they could have used him in ways they did. They're, they're doing some of it. I don't want to sit here and say they're doing everything that rigid Kevin did with Baker and stuff. Like they've sprinkled in some things, but it's almost like they want to call it some way. They want to develop it some way, Andrew. And then they're like, they have somebody in Kevin's ear saying, Hey, let's do some of the Deshaun stuff. Now let's do uh a little quarterback bash read here. Let's do, you know, maybe a little, uh, you know, a little RPO, just a little bubble and see how it works. Like they're not committed to it is my general point. Yeah. They're not committed to the stuff that made him really special with the Texans. They're not committed to getting coaches in here that he's worked with or he's, he's had, uh, have experience in the concepts that he was thriving with when he was his best. And that to me is such a, it's such a failure. It's such a failure to not have done that over the course of two years. Now, is there time to rectify it? Maybe, maybe, right? You know, you gotta you gotta hope here that, that Kevin can rewrite the staff a little bit on offense, the way you and I have talked about what he did with the defense. But I don't really think that there's faith for me this year, after what I watched last year, when the pressure was on for Deshaun to get it right quickly. I don't have faith, Andrew. That's what I'm at. I don't have faith. I don't know if you do, but I, I don't have faith that they're gonna get this right. No, I mean, like I said, I was playing devil's advocate a little bit. I, I think we agree on this. And I think the biggest question that I have is, will Stefanski do this voluntarily? Because I think this is a question of either jumping or being pushed, right? And there's two ways you can be pushed. One is they can have a conversation about his extension and talk about the things that maybe some members or all the members of the front office would like to see different about the offense including some of the staff members and make those changes. Or it can be that Kevin doesn't get pushed by anybody and the offense does not improve. The The mismatch continues and he's pushed in the method, method, manner of getting fired. I There are plenty of examples if you go back through the NFL of head coaches getting handed an extension one offseason and then getting fired the next. And if the Browns, regardless of what piece of paper he signs this offseason, if the Browns come try, come back next year and have the 14th best offense and have a, you know, what, nine and eight season, the defense takes a step back and they're just kind of a 500 team again, Kevin Stefanski's getting fired. We, again, we spend too much time on it. I don't want to keep going. I, I don't have the, the confidence I hoped I would have for where, again, they're at two years into this whole thing is not, it's not high enough. It's not good enough. I'm, I'm, it's a mystery going into year three with this guy. And that's, uh, that's a bummer of, of, of all the optics of that. But they can, you know, they can alleviate some of the bummer nature of that whole thing. I, I mean, there's no doubt that guys like me, you, people who ride on the team, there's not a huge amount of people that think deeply like this about where it's going, what's going to happen. Most people just care about how they find a way to the playoffs this year, to which I understand wholeheartedly. But there is a lingering long-term outlook of your Cleveland Browns that has to be discussed, has to be broken down. 
and uh, that's not going to be a fun conversation. You probably hated the last 10 minutes of us trying to go through it. Uh, you got Andrews on cell phone video games, right? You know, it's it's not a fun, it's really not a fun conversation. And they're going to be podcasts in the future to try to challenge how we think about it to see if we're doing it incorrectly or if we're on the right path. I feel like we're on the right path, but um, we'll see. Next question also comes from Okmoser. Oh, oh, Okmoser, my bad, brother. Does Joe having a decent enough game coming off the street with minor preparation make us look at Deshaun's perceived rust any differently? A spot starting flash in the pan for Joe. Maybe it was that. <laughs> I don't think Deshaun Watson's been comfortable. I don't think he's been comfortable, man. And that's a large part of what I just spent time talking to you all about. It is not an offense that he has history in. And the way they go about teaching the quarterback, I think, is different than anything he's been accustomed to. So I'm not surprised by it. Do I still think you could be right on both questions here? A spot starting flash in the pan for Joe? Maybe that could be the case. We'll see. He could play a clunker of a game, right? If you go back to his year last year at the Jets, he played he played some clunkers, Andrew. There's no doubt. So um, both of those could be right. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a chance that Flacco experiences some regression. The Rams are the 19th best defense by DVOA, which is the metric that I prefer to use. Whereas Jacksonville, for example, is sixth, even after getting lit up by Jake Browning last night. So there are going to be tougher games. The Texans are 15th. The Obviously, the Bears are at the other end of the spectrum, but they have now climbed to 20th. So they've been playing better defense as of late. It's, a, it's definitely a possibility that Flacco turns the ball over a little bit more. Some of those aggressive throws that we really liked him making don't pan out as well against a team with a better secondary because the Rams, certainly their weakest link is their secondary. I don't think there's any guarantee that he's going to be a reliable option for this team. I think it's good that they have two guys that they can go to between Flacco and DTR. Agreed. All right, next question, and it's another one about Joe Flacco, if you can What? I can't believe that. (laughs) Should the Browns have committed to Joe Flacco instead of Jacoby Brissett last year? It seems obvious in hindsight when you factor in his success in a Kubiak system, his plus arm, and his familiarity with the division. That's from Variance. People are in love with Joe Flacco after a a loss in Los Angeles. Well, yeah, what man? Um, no, like they. <laughs> I don't even know. You got me on this. I don't even know how to answer it. Yeah. I think uh, Joe Joe has had a nice start. I thought. I don't know if you could have any issue with what Jacoby Brissett did last year. I, I, right. That doesn't. I th- I'm, and I don't know how that would even the symmetry would work out. I mean, Kubiak. We went with Kubiak back in fourteen you know, variations of this system with McDaniel and Scangrello, but like, no, I, I think you're thinking too much, man. No, no offense. I just think you're thinking too much that so Jacoby was uh, good. And I would have been fine with getting Jacoby back at various points throughout this year. So, yeah. Um, and next year. Yeah. And next year. Right. <laughs> um, the, I think we should answer this one here where it said, um, marrying the run in the past with Flacco. This is AJM. He said it was natural to, to, to pair the gun run with DTR on the shotgun. With Flacco, I'd expect a lot more under center. Um, I think that Jerome Ford is just going to have to do whatever they're asking him to do. I don't think they're going to make decisions on offense based off Jerome Ford being a better shotgun runner. I think he's a better shotgun runner, Andrew. But, um, you know, he, this is valuable experience for him. It's valuable experience for him to see if he can be a long-term part of this thing. I didn't think many of his opportunities against the Rams were blocked very well. You can pause it. You can show a picture of a, of a singular run. Not many of those were blocked very well. 
he had no chance on like 75% of them to do much with it. But uh, I, I don't, I, I think the Browns can also still do some shotgun action as well. And I think even with Flacco, if they keep him in there, they'll still do a little bit of that. That's my opinion. You know, and, and I, again, I don't think Jerome Ford, the guy who's splitting carries in the backfield is going to deter how they want to operate. So I expect if he's going to be under center and then uh, Jerome's going to get some experience running wide gun or, you know, wide zone and duo and all that under center stuff. Yeah. I would love to see Jerome Ford or Pierre strong, either one take a real step over the next few weeks because they've both been, I mean, strong has other issues. We'll talk about his pass protection stuff in a minute. Neither of them have been good enough. Kareem hunt can't carry a, a large workload. So you're, and he hasn't been great either, but but your expectations for him are lower, obviously. He's it good at be... what he does. He's a short yeah, totally. guy. And Absolutely. He's, and he's good yeah. to roll him in, in a locker like room, that, dude. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No sure. no complaints about how they've used Hunt recently. The the Ford strong trying to find one of those guys to do something has been really disappointing. And it's to the point we talked about they added John Kelly to the practice squad. I think it was last week. I you know, if they want to get somebody else involved here, I wouldn't hate it because there's meat on the bone. I think sometimes I, I know what you just said about the stuff wasn't blocked. Well, that is obviously part of it and you're going against Aaron Donald, but there's meat on the bone with some, some runs every game. Yeah. Yeah. He's not been great. I think he's been, I would categorize him as being an average running back. Now, do you want to flirt with Pierre strong? I'd also be fine with it. Give him some opportunities too. Um, can't pass block. So, that's a little bit of, I'm sure there's some hesitancy, but at this point, I just would rather see him run. Just let him run or run a route. I'm sure he would have caught the same ball up the sideline Jerome Ford did when he looked like a JV fullback falling backward. He couldn't get his arms over his head because his neck rolls too big. You remember those guys. Uh, you can't catch those those footballs that are like at their forehead. Uh, but but he caught it. I think, you know, again, I think Pierre Strong could do that. I'm hoping they give him a little bit more of an opportunity uh, down, the, uh, down the road. And I think that kind of answers a question we have from Dog Pound Dweller about is strong a guy that offers the most upside as a pure runner right now. I don't know that. I don't know that I trust his ability to run downhill duo inside, you know, power counter inside the tackle box stuff, but they have a way of, we'll use them on wide zone. We'll use them on perimeter runs, but I don't think Andrew, this is just me. Like, I don't think that there's any problem with giving him more exposure to doing it because I don't think you're, you're not, killing yourself if you do like i don't taking nick chubb off the field to like oh let's get exactly. jerome ford it's right. different right so right. at this point i'm fine with that i would give him some run i'd give him a little bit more yeah no i think this it all falls under the heading of what's the worst that could happen even the pass blocking stuff like it might be an adventure you, you they are in a position i know they're seven and five but the margins here are very thin they need to find something with a few mm-hmm. guys between now and the end of the season to make this work they they cannot we talked about, you know, this is a thing we've talked about with the offense. In general, the philosophy, you, you have to take risks occasionally. You can't play it safe week in, week out, and expect to win in the NFL. Sometimes you have to try and extend yourself a little bit and hope somebody backs you up or, or you know, takes you up on that bet. All right, last question. I watch offenses like Indy 49ers and even Steelers to some extent. Boy, throwing that with those two is interesting. Run schemes that look pedestrian in comparison. Um, he said, our run schemes look pedestrian in comparison. I see no diversity to keep defenses on their toes. Do you think our coaching staff, including Callahan, is severely underperformed in this category? Me personally, yes. 
I would like to see more run game diversity from the Cleveland Browns and a willingness and ability to adapt to running inside zone, to running power counter, to running trap. They have not run enough traps this year with guards like they have. To me, that's a failure. They run, they run draw stuff pretty well. They should be doing more of that. I think that they are very narrow-minded in how they approach run game, and it bothers me. So my answer is yes to that question from Cheyenne there. Uh, I, I would uh, I would prefer an expansion of thought process around how they run the football next year, for sure. That's just me, though. Here's a question for you, Jake. How do you feel about if the expanding the run game necessitates moving on from Bill Callahan? Because he is, from my understanding, fairly involved with the run game scheme on a week-to-week mm-hmm. basis. And I am starting to wonder if he is the more conservative voice in the offensive room, whether we're talking about the run game issues or we're talking about some of the pass game stuff. I don't have a good answer for that. I, I mean, maybe I, I don't have there. There are plenty of good offensive line coaches out there. there they, I would be interested in who's available and who they could get, you know, letting Callahan go. And again, Callahan is super experienced. You're right. And he probably has a very large voice. A lot of skill position based offensive coordinators lean into how they develop a game plan for the run based on what the offensive line coach wants to do. They will talk with their guys, develop a pass game plan. Usually they spearhead that because that's something they're more comfortable in doing. You know, you hear guys like the McVay, Shanahan, Tree, McDaniel. Those guys are offense guys. If you listen to them, they they're they're literally they're rooted in football understanding as guys who are offensive minded. Either they played wide receiver or quarterback or some form of offense. And then they they always talk about, then we would go learn from our defense. Like, what is the weakness of this, that, and the other? It's interesting because Kevin's upbringing was in defensive football as a safety in college and a lot of that stuff breaks into the NFL. He's spent a lot of time with Minnesota coaching offense, tight ends, and all of that stuff. But he's not like deeply embedded in like his, his general football understanding from the offensive perspective from a young age. So... I do think more than many others, he leans into what Callahan and Peters probably think is best to do in the run game. Do I think that Peters could handle that job alone? I don't know. It feels to me like Peters is more of a technician teacher. His strike system he uses, all of those things, like it feels like he's the technician side of it. Callahan's probably the big thought process run game coordinator type. Him and Stump Mitchell probably spend some time doing it. I don't, it's hard for me to sit here from, from so many feet away, thousand feet up perspective and say, boy, if they lose Bill Callahan, they're just done. I don't, you know, I don't know. I think there are a lot of guys who are pretty good at the offensive line and run game coordination aspect who can handle some of that. Especially when you consider the steps that the steps back, the offensive line has taken this year. Yeah. He's got to, he's got to be held accountable for some of that stuff. There's no doubt about it. So like, if you're asking me to to say no, that would be a massive mistake to let Callahan go. Like, I, I think Callahan's good, and I understand why they want him around. But maybe there's a reshuffling of the voices there or something. I don't know. I really don't know. But I don't think you would probably see if they let Callahan go. There's a parting of ways in the off season. The the people who study O line or whatever they'd be like, I can't believe the Browns would do this. And it's like that's when you look at week week twelve and they're like number two in rushing in the NFL and they're protecting. Well, it's like. You know, we, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know. But I do know that the people who we think are responsible for it because of just lo- like logic here, 
are not they're not getting it done. It's not been good enough this year. So yeah, I, hopefully they can figure that out. I this kind of goes back to the conversation about Watson, but I wonder if there's the possibility that the 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 sale is essentially merging what Stefanski had already built with what Watson likes to do. So you've got the sort of safety blanket of play action run concepts built in, and then you can expand into the shotgun world. And it's maybe a situation where they're trying to do too much rather than find, you know, special specializations that work for them. Because it feels like it's to your point about somebody's whispering in his ear to go back to some of the concepts that Deshaun likes, whereas then Callahan's in his other ear saying, let's run duo four times in a row and, you know, pound these guys, put it, put them under center. I wish I wish I knew who had the direct, you know, voice to him because, you know, Van Pelt is just there. O'Shea is there. We know so little about how they process offense and how it gets called, who he's leaning into. It's a guessing game. It kind of stinks, but maybe that'll clear itself up some this offseason. Not sure, yeah. Andrew. And but. just worth another reminder, the Cardinals just went into Pittsburgh and hung a bunch of points on the Steelers with an offense that's almost completely devoid of talent other than the quarterback yep and you know trey mcbride coming out of nowhere and that's drew petzing he was here last year as the quarterback's coach so there's i think there's a little bit of a brain drain situation it's all sort of part of one conversation but we can move on to the defense now give it's, people well, a break i just want to i want to say that you, you can wear and bleed brown and orange and still say they haven't been good enough and there might need to be a shift to the thought process around how they're thinking about offensive football it doesn't make me galaxy brain to watch them do the things they do on offense right now and be like, what are you, what's your general plan? What's your philosophy? Why are you not doing, how can you watch them the way other teams operate and think that what you're doing is enough? I think that's fair. And I don't think it means you're picking on them or you don't believe that they can figure it out. But the questions are, they're there to be asked, but nonetheless, let's do, let's move on. All right, on to the defense, and we're going to talk cornerback injuries. So we have a question about Cameron Mitchell from Aaron Hitchens. We have a question about Denzel Ward and his shoulder injury. Do we have any update on either of those injuries? Where do they stand going into the game against Jacksonville? No. <laughs> no update. It is pretty pretty weird. I think Cam Mitchell can come off of IR now. It's been four mm-hmm. weeks. We don't know. Maybe we'll learn something in the next few days. We have had questions asked about Denzel Ward shoulder and we have no information whatsoever anything to add to that Andrew well I'm concerned is what I would add to that because yeah me too it goes back to that wallop that he took from Ronnie Stanley and then he was able to come back and play against Pittsburgh but then has been out since then I, I I have concerns because of his injury history the area of the injury shoulder neck head it's all kind of one system of muscles so I, I and they need him the other part of the concern is they need him can't watch another game of mike ford and khalifa lossi getting picked on <laughs> no nah, me neither they need him. well our colleague brad ward made a great point about not using them electing not to use aj green because green is not a world beater but he's a player that has given the browns some reps over the years he certainly has more experience than khalifa lossi so the fact that they were uncomfortable using him I know it's a different scheme. It's Woods instead of, or Schwartz instead of Woods, but he was he was active. They called him up, and he only played special teams for the most part. Yeah, massive shoulder shrug on that one. Can't say I get it either. 
All right, next one is from Evan Dawson. Remember when our defensive coaches made that big gesture about how much they love Zadarius, even though he's not getting sacks? I'd like to request some sacks. I'm confused about why the pass rush has been so bad. I understand Miles has been hobbled, but we weren't supposed to be complete. Weren't we supposed to be a complete and fearsome unit? Agreed. Two things happened the last two weeks. The Rams made a concerted effort. We're getting rid of the dang ball. 2.44 seconds is fast. It's so fast. You're going to be rushing with no result. It is miserable to spend an entire game rushing when the football is out that fast. Now, my big concern is that man-to-man is supposed to alleviate some of the th- the football getting thrown quickly. And the Browns ran 34 snaps of man-to-man, and a majority of the footballs are being thrown in under 2.5 seconds. I think the defensive line, as far as getting after the passer, has still been okay, good. But this, the game plan from the Rams, which Miles noted afterward, beat them up. It beat them up. And then the Broncos, again, I thought they won. They got after the quarterback pretty well. But Russell Wilson made plays drifting backward in the pocket, waiting, 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 giving Cortland Sutton a chance to throw downfield, you know, and, and beat Greg Newsom. So, like, I just don't – I guess I don't think they've been bad – the results have just been snatched away from them and when we've been used to seeing them convert them. So it has not been a good marrying of the run or sorry, of the protection and, and pass rush, Andrew. That that's what I have for the last two weeks. And I've been frustrated too, but when you peel back the film, like they're still winning enough reps up front to get some sacks, but the quarterback created time in Denver and then beat time in in, in LA. That's a very thorough answer, Jake. I don't really have anything to add. It is frustrating to watch. I'll say that. And them finding some answers schematically, if they can, to try and help the pass rush get home more would be very welcome, especially if it's going to be against either C.J. Beathard or a physically limited Trevor Lawrence. Either way, that player needs to experience quite a bit of pressure. Yeah, I'm with you, man. They, they, that was... Uh a frustrating fan experience in both of those games, watching Russell Wilson drift and watching Matt Stafford just rip it before they could, uh, they could cover it, which is a, which is a bummer. All right. We have two questions here that we really answered with that long offensive coaching conversation earlier. So, but I do want to, you know, shout out to Hunter Anthony and uh, gruff 22. I think we answered your questions already, you know, hit us up again. If you, if there was something that you wanted to dig into more that didn't get covered, but I I think we, (laughs) We did a long section on the offensive coaching. I think if we do that again, people are going to really be a little bit bothered. The next one is a question that I don't know the answer to, Jake, and I I don't know if you know the answer to this. It's from Robert Pace. Uh, There's somebody on the sideline, and he thinks it's Bubba Ventrone holding up an 11, and he believes that it's held up when we are on defense. He wants to know what this is, and uh, he is worried that it has to do with how many men are on the field, but I, I think that's unlikely. It's got to be something more of a formation thing, right? You're on to it. Do you know? I No, I don't. 11 personnel. He's telling it's them. That simple? It's, it's, giving, it's giving them an indication of what personnel groupings on the field oh. for the offense. Okay. So if they see, like, what happens is up top, if they run in an extra tight end, he'll yell 12. The sideline sees the 12, and they'll know to go base or whatever. Okay. That's my belief. 
is it's as, as simple. simple as wow. is just telling them what they're going to match. Their personnel is going to match to it. Okay, uh, it could be something else, but there's nothing else logically that it would be for me because the Rams ran 62 plays and had 61 of them in 11 personnel. So him seeing 11 held up all the time is an indication to me that they're just trying to quickly communicate up top the box. They have what are called spotters. They're the guys who are watching like, Hey, this week when the, when the Rams run a second tight end, it's number 84. If they have a fullback, it's number 27. You watch them. If they run on the field, you radio down 13 personnel, 12 personnel, 21 personnel. Then we quickly have it held up. The defensive coordinator can look at that know what it is make his call based off of it, and our substitutions come in based off of it. That's my hunch. Could be wrong because I'm not in the office uh, there, but that that's what I would think it is. Yeah, works for me. All right, next question is from Aaron Hitchens. How much does playing on Monday Night Effect teams the following Sunday? Is there historical data that points to a meaningful effect here? I found a little bit of data from, this is from uh, 2014 to 2017. So it's not current, but you know, when these days, when you're Googling things, you cannot, beggars can't be choosers. It's, it's hard out there in the Google yeah. world. Especially when you get very specific like this. It's right. Just- so 2014 to 2017 teams playing on short rest after a Monday night game have gone 58 and 66 straight up and 56 and 68, which is 42% against the spread. So it's not an advantage, man. Now there's obviously going to be examples in there of like, a good team playing on a Monday night, playing a really bad team on a Sunday, those sway things a little bit, right? But and there's the opposite side of that spectrum. But you're giving, I think that's a good, that's a good piece of information. I would be interested to know what it is more recently, but that's good enough. I will tell you what sucks, Andrew, is having your quarterback hurt an ankle on a Monday night in overtime, Monday night game, right? And uh, you prefer that to be on Sunday, so you got an extra day of rest. But this is what makes the the if Trevor Lawrence is able to go, like man, that that's yeah. going to be. I won't be stunned, but short week of rest, like you got to turn around quick. You got to fly up north as well. It's not like you're staying at home and getting treatment right up until the game time. You got to fly up to Cleveland. I don't see it, man. And if he's out there, he's going to be a a lack of mobility liability. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? There, and we nailed that one. So, um, some good data there. I just don't. I think the Jags are in a bad spot in this game. The Browns have capitalized. The Browns have to capitalize this, there you this go. game, Andrew. That's Underline the huge it. thing. Like, Underline it. Yep. We've, I think everyone's been talking about them losing this game, and we've even made the reference point seven and six. Your season's still not over by far. Mm-hmm. They need to win this now. They need to win it. Um, yeah. Last question here. Uh, I want to make sure I give the correct credit to who fired over this question because it's a simple question, but it's actually a pretty good one for the uh, the discussion around the team and especially these last two games, which these last two games have felt like five weeks instead of two. Uh, it comes from Deshaunis. I hope I'm saying your name right, man. I really apologize if I'm not. Um, but he says, what are the Browns doing well to be in the last two games? Which on the surface, you're like, that's interesting. But we, you look at the scores, they're not close at the end. But you would agree with me, Andrew, the same way. Like Up until DTR's injury late third quarter, they were very much in that game, right? Mm-hmm. Switching over to the fourth quarter when the fumble happens. 14-12, I felt like the Browns were going to win. Mm-hmm. Browns get the football back 20 to 19 against the Rams. Six minutes left. I thought they were going to win. Mm-hmm. They're in these games, but yet all we're doing is talking about the bad, right? So he says, what I've heard is the defense has real problems and they aren't as good as they were supposed to be. And they're struggling. Offensive line is underwhelming. Wide receiver room is banged up and underperformed. Running back room is down bad. Schemes are a step behind. So how in the hell are they in position to win this game games like these over the last two weeks? Yeah. Fair I, question. I, Go ahead. I would just say as a, as a starting point here, 
think there's a there's a difference between being in position to win and having a lead or playing from ahead. The Browns have not over the past two weeks played from ahead really at all. And for a team in their situation with the quarterback stuff, the now you've got an Amari Cooper injury. He's he's you know been two weeks in a row that he's left the game. There's so much uncertainty on offense that going down and then having to come back is so much extra pressure, especially on the road. So getting it close is one thing, but I would feel differently about this question if they had had third or fourth quarter leads the last two weeks and they have, they've been fighting to get back into these games. They've been within touching distance. Yes. And, and I, I would just underline, I know people love the Denver Broncos midseason turnaround and you know, that they, they're a totally different team all of a sudden, but these are the Broncos and the Rams are mediocre 500 teams in the NFL. They just are. And the Browns, as of the beginning of this road trip, were a seven and three football team. And in terms of like big picture stuff, are at the top of the league with their cash spending. I know there have been injuries, but the Browns have a nearly complete roster, went into the season with very high expectations. These games against teams that are playing 500 football are games the Browns should win and should have at some point led and controlled. And they didn't. They were just not blown out. I think your your point is, is as simple as saying they were in the games. They were never in control of them. And there's a difference between the margin for error, like, where the Broncos are up 14 or up seven and they have a fumble from Russell Wilson or the Rams have the in the uh, missed field goal before half, like the Browns can't survive that in these games is what we've seen. They can't survive it. They had a chance to get the football back at 20 to 19 after that John Johnson interception. They didn't get it back. Yep. It's 27, 19 had a chance to go down and score at 27, 19 to go tie the game. Couldn't get it done. Right. Had a chance in the Broncos game, even though you turned it over at 14-12 to get it back. Like they're mm-hmm. they're just not getting it done. They're lingering, but they're not getting it done. So right. let's see if that script flips. Leave it at that. They're they're <laughs> in. They they deserve credit. They put together the big thing is they put together some nice drives. Like in the middle of those games, the Broncos game, they put together a nice drive. The Rams game put together a nice drive. But the problem is they're falling behind early. Right? Rams got them up 10-7 early, and you're right. scraping, clawing you know, to get back one or the two game drives isn't up. enough. It's They're not, not enough. having teams keep up with them. Mm-hmm. They're trying to keep up with others. Right. So let's and hope that flips. It's funny, Jake, we spend so much time thinking about the game, talking football, all these things. And it does come down to a few key moments every game. Did you, or did you not get it done earlier in the season? They were finding ways to do it. Even against long odds, you talk about the 49ers game. You talk about the Colts game where, they were in trouble at points in that game. Miles Garrett, you know, strip sack in the end zone, wins the game for them, essentially. They had the Ravens and the Steelers games, back-to-back weeks, found a way to win those games. All of a sudden, last two weeks, they just have not been able to find a way. It does go back to their overall plan. Their overall plan is to dominate time of possession, keep the ball away from the other offense, rely on the defense getting off the field on third down to establish a lead, play from in front, allow that to dictate that the other team has to pass. You control those game scripts. You can control these games so much easier, so much more easily. And mm-hmm. and they have not been in a position to do that the last two weeks. They are in the habit, as we all know now, of giving up leads on the road and then trying to come back. Long-term, you're going to lose more of those games than you win. 
right? Go through the schedule. Bengals, formula, check. Steelers lost, turnovers, right? Not a check. Weird one, right? They had a chance. They're up in the fourth quarter, but they gave it away. Titans game, check. Ravens game, nope. 49ers, exact formula, right? Found a way to get a lead. Put Actually, I'll take that back, Andrew. The 49ers game is where they had a little bit of it, right? They they were behind early. The 49ers had a little bit of They pushed it even, and then the Browns finally jumped out in front with a late field goal. So that's one that they were able to overcome, right? Colts game had to overcome it late, but like the recent stretch here, Seattle's an example, fall behind, scraping to get back into the game, can't get it done late. You know, Pittsburgh, what's the formula? Jump out in front early, hold on, stay out in front. But these last two have been an example of like the opposite end of the spectrum of how they should be approaching these, which is run more plays, dominate the time of possession, and play from out in front so your defense can strangle these teams. Now, does the defense have any of that strangle capability left? C.J. Beathard might help them get back on track, but... That's the question. The formula has been just enough offensively with really good defense. They can't do the just enough offensively with just enough defensively, right? And that's kind of what they've had. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like the Rams and the Rams did. They went for 400. They they put a hurt on them. But the Broncos didn't overwhelm them in yardage, mm-hmm. right? So that's their, they got to get back to it, man. They got to get back to playing from out in front and suffocating defensively. We'll see. Again, the weather looks like it'll help them, Andrew, and, yeah. and and maybe they get some guys back this week. But if the defense is just going to be this version we've seen since week 10, which yep. is just, you know, eh, they're, they're okay. It's hard for them to make up for that margin of error. It really is. Well, Jake, we, you just talked about taking advantage of this opportunity with Jacksonville, either a limited Trevor Lawrence or C.J. Beathard. Then you think about the Bears coming in the next week. You just lost two straight. They've got two straight at home, win two straight. Get back to nine and five. And, and if I feel now, real good, you you're real good. Now, yeah. Now you are playing from a place of advantage when you go to Houston Christmas Eve, right? That's where you want to be. You want to be the team holding the momentum when you go into what is essentially an early playoff game. That game will have the atmosphere and the stakes of a wild card game because for both teams, it 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 will likely be nearly a must win. But if you go I, in I'm at borderline, nine and five, I'm borderline. They need to be nine and five. Like I know I'm, I'm sitting here saying seven and six. Their season's not over. But if they want to be who we think they can be, getting into the playoffs this year, if they don't win these next two, considering what Jacksonville's going up against at quarterback and losing Christian Kirk, and then what we know the Bears are, mm-hmm. if they can't get these two games done at home, it's it's like my my shoulders are like, yeah, they're not good enough to get to the playoffs. That's where I'll be. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think before the Trevor Lawrence injury, you see a Jaguars team that's playing really well and able to do exactly what we just talked about, get a lead and then kind of dictate to teams. Considering the injury, considering the weather factor, the the home game factor, which obviously does matter to this defense, I think the goal has to be 9-5 and after these two. No doubt. All right, that's enough for a mailbag podcast. Andrew and I thank you for being here, making us a part of your Wednesday very appreciative um, rate and review the podcast. As we always say, if you can, please helps people find it. We're in a little bit of a lull there. So if you're an everyday listener and you haven't done it yet, we would really love that from you. That helps us more than you think. And it's just about 20 seconds of your time. So thanks for doing that. If you have done it, if you could do that for us, we would greatly appreciate it. Continue to check out the OBR where we have some great deals going up for subscription opportunities. 
to join what I think is one of the best Browns communities you will find online. And then above all else, have a great Wednesday and go Browns.